It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Let's play a game of off-season narrative factor fiction. We're going to start with a couple of Joe Burrow narratives that really found their way into the social media space this off-season. You are Locked On Bengals. Your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko. He's your host, James Rapine. Today, we're joined by John Sheeran, covers the Bengals for A to Z Sports. We're going to dive into a series on Bengals narrative factor fiction, because there are a whole lot of narratives going around this offseason. We're part of the Locked On podcast network here on Locked On Bengals. You can, can subscribe to this show on YouTube, anywhere you get your podcasts. Makes it really easy to be part of that first listen club. Those of you that make us your first listen every day, we really appreciate all of you and the everydayers who made sure they caught all those Brian Callahan episodes earlier in the week. All two of them, both, as they say in English. We like all you guys, too. We're going to get into some Joe Burrow narratives to start the show today because there are a couple, one of which is more prevalent, I think, among Bengals fans, and one of which is as prominent among Bengals haters. We're going to start with the ideas percolating around Joe Burrow's contract. He's said himself that he's aware of the contract situation of some of the other players on the Bengals. He would like them to be on the team with him as long as possible. This has led to ideas of a hometown discount being floated. John, you've had thoughts on this. Get on your soapbox. Tell me about it. It's kind of ridiculous because for starters, like I understand why the questions need to be asked for Burrow because the situation is so unique, but it, it does seem, it has always seemed kind of weird to me that he's the only quarterback where this is kind of getting brought up just about taking less than what he deserves or less what the market dictates him. If, if this was a true free agency scenario, Burrow would a hundred percent get not only the biggest contract in NFL history, but he would probably get significantly more like guaranteed money, the whole nine yards compared to Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson and anyone else who kind of comes before him. But I understand it. Like, this is the whole hometown, like, hero trope and everything. And not the fact that the team is constructed the way that it is and how they can keep kind of this core together. But my case has always been since February, it's not on Joe Burrow to keep the Bengals' core together. It's completely 100% on the team. It's the team's responsibility. The onus is on them to keep this core together as much as possible. 
And there's ways to do that while still paying Burrow what he deserves. It's it's never been a question to me whether or not he deserves that. And it's never been a question to me whether or not he should consider giving up that privilege. Like he's earned this right to be the highest paid pay, paid player in NFL history. And I think the reason why he's been kind of nonchalant about it is because he knows that his agency knows that everyone around the situation knows that. And the only people who are making this a conversation are unfortunately Bengals fans who kind of want him to do something that he shouldn't have to do. Yeah. The, in the Patrick Mahomes precedent, I think it is, is part of it. And I would not be shocked if behind closed doors, Patrick Mahomes is kicking himself a bit for doing that. And I know he's the Super Bowl winner and has that second ring and he could say that's who for Pat who and all of those things. But uh, he's pretty underpaid now. And I, I don't think Joe Burrow wants to put himself in that position. But wait a second, John, you're telling me you didn't take a hometown discount when you went to A to Z sports. You're telling me you didn't take less. Come on, John. Yeah, you did. Less, yeah. Let's, let's call it. Let's call it less. You know. Less. Let's say, that, let's say that's how the negotiations went. No, Hometown I mean, discount. That, that's the other thing because people try to ordinary people who get maybe five, maybe six figure salaries. They're trying to put themselves in in the in the eyes and the souls of multi million dollar athletes. Not only just athletes who get paid more. It's the potential earnings of this that, that has com- people completely screwed up. Because someone who gets a promotion, yeah, like can go from like seventy k to ninety k, right? A quarterback in the NFL who's getting paid what, like six, seven million a year, up to fifty million a year. Anyone who has the chance to make that jump makes that jump, but they don't think about the people around them. Like, sure, again, there are ways to make sure that he gets that salary while also making sure that others are still with still with the team and you know they're able to be get, to get paid what they deserve. And again, it's up to the team to structure it like that because in years past they haven't really operated that way and they're trying to get to that point at this point and we're going to see how far along they've gotten into this process as soon as this deal with Burrow kind of transpires and then after that you have T Higgins and then of course it's Jamar Chase like this has been the team's plan I think ever since 2021 when they realized yeah this core is worth keeping around for the next decade so I think that's kind of been in the works for a a year and a half and I don't think the team has kind of lost on that if you had to guess if you had to guess years wise would it be five for the extension yeah like I, I think Obviously, seven and eight, I think, is probably what the team is pushing for. But, of course, yeah. the, the, the concession there is, okay, if I'm going to be locked under here, not locked, that's kind of a negative connotation, but if I'm going to be here without the, the chance of renegotiating for longer, I need significantly more per year. I, I just need you guys to completely shatter what the market is right now. And maybe the Bengals are able to do that. Maybe that allows them to maybe put in less guarantees up front. If they pay him like 60 plus million a year, which I think is what it would have to be, in order to get him under you for like seven, eight years. But yeah, I think just because the, the recent deals have all been five years, around 51, 52 million a year, that's just probably the benchmark for Burrow right now. Yeah, the only exceptions would be Patrick Mahomes and that deal that we've talked about that I'm sure will be renegotiated sometime in the relatively near future. And Josh Allen at six years. Go back to Carson Palmer. He was six years for the Bengals and the Bengals set the market for his deal. But that was also in a very different CBA. John, I I guess there are a couple of ways we could go here, but I'm going to talk about what you think is the, the, to me, to me, this is a difficult conversation for fans, right? Because fans are loyal to a team, but love the players that play for the team. And so they get these ideas in their head that, you know, this sort of hometown discount idea is viable when it's really just so rare. What what do you think 
is the the better approach or or realistic approach that that would help reconcile those two points of view you talk about like to, to get the fans to understand or like the the best course of action for the team well well just a way to, to reconcile those those competing interests because i think everyone who's a fan of a sports team has those those competing interests of like well for the team it would be most efficient for this to happen but for this player it would be best for this to happen yeah i think there, there's only one thing here it's that as long as joe burrow's under contract for the foreseeable future like that's just it's, it's a win-win right and of course when the dollar amounts are as high as it is it becomes maybe more of a sensitive topic and it's almost like a classism type of thing where it's like oh like does, does he really need 53 million dollars a year and 20 200 million dollars guaranteed to be happy course not like i don't think that's necessarily joe burrow's thing but this is just the way that it is and joe burrow shouldn't have to apologize for the market being what it is and the fact that he's earned it and also like joe burrow just passed a hippo for being like the most popular cincinnatian and i think that polls pretty accurate people would die for joe burrow in cincinnati like the fact that this is even a thing like oh he should take less when he's the lord and savior of the city it just seems kind of ridiculous and i think people just have to get past that joe burrow carried in the playoffs, that's another offseason narrative. Let's uh, let's talk about that and, and much, much more coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel is a one-stop shop for all things sports wagering and baseball season in full swing. The Reds, well, they're still cooking in first place. And whether you're going down to Great American Ballpark or not this weekend, well, you need to get to FanDuel because right now, if you go to FanDuel, you're going to get 10 times your first bet amount and bonus bets up to 200 bucks. That's right. You bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose right now by going to FanDuel.com slash locked on. The app is safe, secure, super easy to use. And when you win, you get paid instantly. So check them out right now. FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Joe Burrow was carried by Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Lou Anarumo, his defense. We all saw it. We all saw how Joe Mixon carried the Bengals to victory over the Buffalo Bills in that second snowy playoff game. Joe Burrow has nothing to do with the success of the Cincinnati. I mean, just look at his EPA per play in the fourth quarter in playoff games, guys. Ignore all of the successful fourth quarter comebacks the Bengals have had. Ignore every clutch thing Joe Burrow's ever done. EPA per play tells the entire story. Ignore the three injured offensive linemen for two straight playoff runs. That doesn't matter. Joe Burrow was carried. Well, I think you can tell how we feel about whether this is fact or fiction, but this is a real thing. This is more from the Joe Burrow haters side of the world, but let's just address it and get to the bottom line, John. The playoffs have been interesting because they've definitely faced, like, you know, off the top of your head, Baltimore this past year, 
Tennessee, just defenses that have found ways to create more disruption for the Bengals offensive line. And it's definitely impacted the Bengals offense as a whole. And we've seen Burrow not struggle, but just play a more tame style of offense where there's not as much explosive plays, which definitely impacts what EPA per play is. Obviously, these things lack a lot of nuance and context, especially considering the injuries that the Bengals have had. It's weird that this dude gets compared to Tom Brady so much and people kind of forget the early years of Tom Brady and how that whole thing kind of played out with the structure of New England's offense. And the fact that Tom Brady was never really propped up or the, the support for him was never really just the raw numbers, but just the play style that he you know, con- con- conducts and composes himself. That's been very evident in Burrow in these big games. Yes, the stats don't always look as pretty like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. They're, they're aliens in some regards. Like I think Allen's still one statistically one of the best playoff quarterbacks of all time. Mahomes has pretty much that on lock as well. So, so Burrow's numbers don't look as clean as those guys, but just the style of play and the consistency, like there's rarely been a lot of mistakes he's made. In some of these playoff games, you can just look at maybe one or two against the Chiefs in this past AFC Championship game, but it's definitely been good enough to win those games, and he's definitely been a reason why. And it's come down to a lot of clutch moments, too, like like you said, and it doesn't always get reflected in the numbers, but I mean, I hate to be that guy, but watch the tape. Playoff games are ugly. I think that's the part of this. Like A lot of Tom Brady's playoff games, and I'm a huge Brady fan, were ugly. He, di- he didn't necessarily throw for... 400 yards and, and five touchdowns. And in all those Super Bowls, he struggled in the first quarter to, to get acclimated. And I, I think that's the part of it is with the, the offensive line, especially that Bro's had in the playoffs the past couple of years, it, it doesn't always start out like it did on, on the road against Buffalo. I was pretty surprised it did and that, that he was able to, to lead them to that 14 nothing lead early on and, and do that in that environment. So I, I think it's hilarious. But you know what I haven't seen just to combine these two topics? I haven't seen anyone say, oh, well, Joe Burrow shouldn't be the highest paid player in the NFL because of these things. And maybe they should connect them if you're going to want to say that he gets carried because I, I think it couldn't be farther from the truth. There's already been nobody that has had the impact in Bengals history on this franchise that Burrow's had. He could retire tomorrow. He could pull Andrew Luck. He's not going to Bengals fans, but he could do that. And there's no one. Ken Anderson didn't have this impact. Anthony Munoz didn't have this impact. And you could go on and on down the list. So uh, I, the the carried narrative is is peak 2023, I think, when it comes to social media and, and football discourse. Well, one thing that really gets me about it. Sorry, John. Go ahead. Why don't you jump in? No, no I think going back to like 2021, when they added Chase and the whole argument was like, yeah, Burrow doesn't need this elite offensive line to kind of you know, be a good quarterback. If you get the weapons in place and you get a passable offensive line, that's enough. And we've kind of seen the fruits of that labor. But when it comes down to it, yeah, if you get injured enough on the offensive line, it, it creates problems and it creates adjustments and everything in that regard. So now, like, he's been doing all this with an offensive line that's slowly, you know, but surely getting a little bit better and more stable. And now you're at the point where the weapons are there and the protection is there. Maybe you will see just a more you know, cleaner playoff games where it's more controlled like, like it was in the Buffalo game, you know, weather aside. So that, that that's just been, I think, a growing process for him. And the fact that like he's been this good this early in his career should be enough. But obviously when you're compared to the very best players in the NFL, sometimes it isn't. And there's that whole EPA per play thing. That actually is like a pesky thorn in the side of the Joe Burrow playoff profile. But I do think that it doesn't do a very good job of representing what's actually happened in these games. Because like you said, you, you know, you turn on the games and, 
you see something different. And and another thing that gets me where, where I was, what I was thinking about while, while you guys were talking was, you know, one of the things, and, and I hate to give this the time of day and actually speak about it because I've done a really good job of ignoring it for the last couple of months is, you know, people talking about Luana Rumo has gotten the worst performances out of Patrick Mahomes. That's the only reason the Bengals have been in these games with the Chiefs. And it kind of ignores that Steve Spagnuolo's defense has had this has had similar success about the Bengals. And, I, and and it kind of goes back to EPA per play where people point to Mahomes EPA per play and like a few fluke mistakes, quote unquote, fluke mistakes here or there. Or like, you know, he melted down and had the worst game of his life kind of thing because Luana Rumo's defense, but it goes both ways. And, and so, like, I think that's what's happening with really a lot of discussion and, and narrative in general in this social media world that we live in today, this post, post-COVID Twitter sphere that exists, because it really did change kind of in the last couple of years, I would say, or maybe became amplified, where you get a lot of, I'm just going to call it hypocrisy, because I can't come up with a, a more courteous synonym right now, where you apply a certain set of logic to, to one thing and then totally ignore that logic when it applies to the same scenario elsewhere because it doesn't fit your narrative. And, th- and that's something that's, I think, really a problem with a lot of modern online argumentation. It's also like, I mean, my, my own contention, like I kind of equate this to the Bearcats in football when they went undefeated in 2021 it went from just like this, you know, surprise welcoming story to oh, this team is going to disrupt the the dynamic and the paradigm of the college football playoff. And it went from oh, the Bearcats are cool to oh, like you're not better than Alabama or anyone else who should be in this playoff. And that's kind of what happened to the Bengals a little bit. As soon as they got legitimately good and proved that against the Chiefs, it became how can people discredit them right and it, it, went, it went from the Bengals are pretty good to well they're not that good and I think there was a lot of people kind of feeling threatened by their presence a little bit and now that they're on their way if they're not already pretty established as one of the top teams it becomes harder to do that and that sounds I guess a little defensive but I'm just kind of reading like I'm reading the train a little bit like there's nothing there's not a lot that you can do to legitimately discredit the Bengals and I feel like we as people who cover the team do a pretty good job of that to identify their flaws because we're trying to have pretty balanced discussions about it. And then you get, like you said, a lot of hypocrisy in the way and it kind of just muddies the waters. Well, there's also those that are looking for any reason for baby arm burrow to return and for regression <laughs> to return. And I can't believe you dropped that names, nickname, but oh. I mean, there's people out there that oh. say this stuff and it's just insane. I mean, this is what we're doing. We're, we're calling stuff fiction. I, know. It's just, I just hate it's, that nickname. That's it's terrible. So, that's like saying skinny leg Jamar Chase. Like, well, no. It is. Burrow's arm is it just, it's great. It's great. <laughs> it doesn't mean it's the strongest. It's still a great arm. It's completely different. And so baby arm Burrow, kick rocks. It's ridiculous. That. It's ridiculous. It's right. Sorry, that got me mad. Well, you were going somewhere else before I jumped in. Where were you taking us, James? Oh, probably to break so we could get into some play action and some explosives. What do you think? You know, yeah, me, we just talked to we just talked to Brian Callahan, John. I'm sure you heard it. Uh, we we talked about some of the points of emphasis for this team, and explosive plays has been one of them since like early on last year when it was apparent that teams were going to 
play defense against the Bengals offense very differently. So given those couple of data points, let's get into that conversation about play action, where explosives are going to come from, if this team can rediscover the explosive play to finish the show coming up next. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, John, let's start with the explosive plays part of it because it's it's the more fun topic. It's why they were able to make Super Bowl 56 is, is all of the explosive plays. Offensive line is obviously improved, but the, the, uh, the, the offensive line was improved from 21 to 22. And obviously the, the two high safety looks were able to, to keep the Bengals in check from an explosive standpoint. How do you think they find those big plays this season? I, I think back to like what Zach kind of wanted this offense to be when he got here from L.A. And that's where the wide zone, a lot of under center type bootlegs kind of came from. Because I think when people look at like a, like a pass first offense, they think of like the Bengals. Now they're in shotgun. It's very quick and, uh, you know, quick striking and that's not where the explosives come from. Yes, you can get a lot of yards after catch that way if you have like the right athletes, but it comes down to if you can if you can line up under center and you can create a lot of gaps and you can bring defensive backs up to the box, you create naturally spacing down the field for those explosive plays to develop as long as your pass protection kind of holds up and they couldn't do that with a crappy offensive line that they've had for the past 3 years. So I I do buy the fact that like they're trying to get more under center concepts and they're trying to just nail that down because like I think there were some people who like yes they recognize that the Bengals run game got better last year at a shotgun but they knew that it wasn't necessarily sustainable or that it wasn't like the final step of where they wanted to go because if you can't run under center if you can't have any threat of the run under center then teams are still going to try to key in on what you can do so it really comes down to yes like if you can I'm not I'm not in the, I'm not someone who says like, oh, you need to run the ball to have successful play action. No, but you need to have successful play action under center to create those explosive plays. That's like the basis of it, because that's how the Rams did it a lot under like the early days of Sean McVay. That's how the Chiefs continue to do it at times as well. And it's something that's been missing from the Bengals offense. So I do believe that this emphasis of creating explosive plays does kind of derive from getting a more diversified offense in general, which which starts from actually being competent under center. Yeah, and a big part of it is something that Brian Callahan really emphasized, which is making things look alike, marrying the run game to the pass game, which is something the Bengals really did not have last year. Their play action stuff and their bootleg stuff, it, it mystified me, especially the boots. The, the nakeds were Joe Burrows rolling away from the offensive line, which means is the idea of the naked. There's nobody blocking where Joe Burrows rolling. There's an unaccounted for defensive end over there. And for most teams... A lot of the time you see this run, that contain end is crashing and is, is has lost the quarterback. It's actually respecting the run. For whatever reason, the way the Bengals ran this play, Joe Burrow had a guy in his face, I want to say 80% of the time when he turned his eyes back upfield and became a passer again, came out of the play fake, which is insane. Like I didn't see this happening to any other team with the frequency it was happening 
to the Bengals. And there's probably some confirmation bias there. I'm sure this happens to other teams as well. But there's something in the way the Bengals have play action designed. And maybe it's just that they weren't a very good under center team. Maybe this is a Joe Burrow thing where he's just not as good turning his back to the line of scrimmage as he is from the shotgun, where he can see things developing very quickly. But the the move toward this shotgun offense that this team has embraced and marrying up the pass game and the run game, making everything look the same longer in these RPO concepts, in these play action concepts, in their regular running game concepts, and having potentially better tackle play, which will be a conversation we'll have in our next episode, John. Hopefully that unlocks something, right? Because I think a big criticism was that this offense was disjointed in 2022 for too much of the year. And hopefully it's not another year because I feel like it's been several years where we're talking about major offensive changes midseason for the Bengals. Hopefully those tweaks have to be or don't have to be quite as large in 2023. Their heart was in the right place at the beginning of last year because they saw the offensive line on paper was upgraded and improved, but there was no cohesion with the unit in the first month or so because of injuries that happened. So they just tried to just go with their stable run game and it was just terrible. And like it like we all we all remember the analysis teams were keen and oh if they're in shotgun it's pass if they're under center it's a run and it just became inc- incredibly predictable and you don't want to have those wholesale changes in week five and six when there's only you know six days to go between one game and the next and there probably should have been changes that were made in the actual offseason which is why i think they're really hammering that down and like i i, I do respect the fact that yes they've embraced who they are as, as a shotgun team but even if you are in shotgun all the time like these are NFL defensive linemen. They read their keys very well. And it's not always about what it is in pre-snap. It's all about post-snap keys as well. And that's why you have guys either crashing down in the gaps or you have TJ Watt pretty ready to go to deflect, you know, 10 balls a game and maybe pick off one or two. So these are all things that made the Bengals offense predictable. And they were still effective despite that predictability because of how talented they were. But the more the, the more diverse that they, that they can get, the more things that they can hammer down with competency before you have actual game tape on them this season just the better and more consistent they'll be. It's something that I think they need to get there for. They need to be more explosive. Callahan, I think, made that very clear when he's talking about, you know, defenses want you to go 10, 12 plays down the field, gives you more opportunities to make mistakes, more opportunities for them to get off the field. Whereas if you're explosive, you know, I don't know what the stat is that Joe Goodberry always quotes, but one explosive play, you're very, very likely to score. And so unlocking a little bit of that will go a long way in helping this offense to take another step because they were really good last year living in those long drives, grinded out world uh, that, that they, that they had to live in one big key to them turning that corner, I think will be the improvements again, at least on paper in the offensive line. We can also talk about, the, the safeties, I think the safeties are a big topic of conversation, whether they're going to improve, be a little bit worse, how that's going to shake out with the departures of Bob Bell and Jesse Bates and two new starters in those spots. And talk about the running game a little bit as well with Joe Mixon and, and Chase Brown and how that's going to shape up. We'll cover those topics in another episode of Offseason Narrative Factor Fiction coming up this weekend. Until then. John Sheeran on Twitter at John underscore underscore Sheeran. You can find his work at A to Z Sports. Thanks for listening to this Locked On episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Hootay and have a good one.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 